This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of March 31st, 2014, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 125 of Defender Radio. A hot topic these days is the BC government's wolf management plan. Or, more particularly, it's the lack of information about the plan. This week, we'll hear from two people who have followed this story closely. Up first is Andrew McLeod, a reporter with online news magazine The Tai. Andrew filed numerous Freedom of Information Act requests with the BC government to find the facts behind the wolf management plan, and was shut down repeatedly. Then we'll talk with Sadie Parr, the advocate behind Just Beings, who has numerous projects in British Columbia and Western Canada and works towards understanding and coexistence with wolves. Please remember, while you listen to this episode, that the government has still not released their plan and many questions remain unanswered. Let's get started. Andrew McLeod is an award-winning journalist who works with the Tai and has published several articles about the BC government's wolf management plan. It was his most recent article, BC Keeps Wolf Killing Plans Secret, that drew our attention. We connected last week with Andrew to learn more about his research and reporting. Tell me a bit about the tie and uh, why environmental issues seem to play such a strong role in your coverage. Um, yeah, the tie is an independent website out of Vancouver. Uh, we started up mostly to do things on British Columbia uh, politics, uh, particularly, but then BC in general. Uh, and gradually we've become more of sort of a Western Canada voice and we're, we're starting to do stuff nationally as well. David Beers, who started the site, came to it from an alternative media background. He'd written for magazines like Harper's in the States and he'd been an editor at Mother Jones. Uh, I came to it, I think seven years ago, uh, from Monday Magazine, which is, uh, uh, alternative, uh, paper in Victoria and I've written for the Georgia Strait and for, uh, papers like that in the U.S. Um, so environmental issues generally are not well covered or widely covered by the, the mainstream press. So it's been something that uh, we viewed as somewhere where, where we can play a role and, and pick up some of the slack, I guess. Um, beyond that, I mean, obviously they, they are of long-term importance, uh, whether it's climate change or things that are happening just on, on the land base from a, from a conservation point of view. When talking about the conservation, um, that's what I found or how I connected with you is through the wolf management plan coverage. Uh, can you tell me a bit about how you first became aware of that, uh, that issue as a whole? Uh, I can't tell you exactly, but I, I was hearing uh, from a source that uh, something was happening, that, that uh, they'd done a public consultation at the end of 2012, right? They had a draft plan. Uh, they put it out for three weeks of consultation. Uh, consultation ended, and then they never put out anything else on it. Uh, and it's now been 16, 17 months, something like that. Uh, meanwhile, my source was telling me that they were considering uh, all kinds of ways to reduce the numbers of wolves, that there was heavy pressure from uh, a number of MLAs who represent rural areas, um, MLAs, uh, members of the Legislative Assembly, um, as well as uh, some people in the livestock business, 
uh, who who wanted wolf numbers down. Um, so that they were looking at ways to do that. Uh, and I was hearing rumors that they were talking about going back to poisoning uh, wolves, which is something that was done here in the 60s. Uh, and it's still done, I think, in Alberta and, and a few other places. Um, anyway, I was, I was hearing that they were try, considering all kinds of extreme uh, ways to do this. So I started putting in FOI requests uh, for details. And it, I think I started probably September doing that. And it took about four or five months to uh, to start getting anything that was at all useful back. Well, and in the article, I found it interesting that you start with the quotes from Steve Thompson, who's in charge of uh, lands, forest, and natural resources in British Columbia, about transparency. And you kind of immediately follow that with an explanation of how long you've been working to get more information. Um, what was it like when you, you start getting your documents back and your responses back? And they're really just sort of um, anticlimactic. They're not giving you what you actually asked for. Um, you know, they're giving you old information instead of current information. What was that like for you? Uh, it, it's it's part of the job. It's it's frustrating, but uh, you know that that is uh, part of what what often happens as we as we try to dig out these things. Um, I, I mean, the timing on it was particularly ironic, right? Because I I I think I started out by asking for you know everything to do with with the you know changes to the wolf management plan made since. Uh, uh, they closed the consultation period, and I, I got a response back saying that's, you know, a thousand pages, and uh, it's going to cost. I think they assessed a fee that was uh, beyond what 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 the organization I work for could pay, uh, or would pay. Uh, so I narrowed it down. I, I broke it into a bunch of smaller requests, uh, including one for uh, just the most recent version of the plan. You know, what what changes have been made to it since the the draft was put out to the public, uh, and. I think it was a, it was pretty much the same day. So so Steve Thompson was in estimates debate, which is sort of the the debate of his ministry's budget and sort of line by line. Uh, and he was saying, oh, we're totally transparent about, about everything to do with wolf management. You know, everything's out in public. Uh, I think that same day I got a response saying, uh, you basically you can't have the plan. Uh, it's a it's a cabinet confidence, uh, and uh, you know we're we're withholding access to it completely, uh, and your your file is closed. Um, so, so it struck me as ironic, and uh, in some ways, I mean, obviously, what, what actually happens out on the land is more important than uh, the, the bureaucratic stuff of what information they'll give me or not give me. But it, it does give uh, an entry point to the story, right? Like it makes it into a, a political story. It points out the hypocrisy of of the government, where they're where they're saying, you know, hey, we're open and transparent, but you know, in reality, they're they're refusing things. They're, they're keeping secrets. And that seems to be a common theme in Canadian politics these days. Uh, now, Does it get boring? Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I found interesting is that you spoke with a trapper um, who claims that trapping should be controlling the numbers, but it isn't. Uh, could you expand a bit on that discussion you had? Yeah, so so, so that, that, you're talking about Mike Morris, who, uh, I mean, he's a trapper. He, he's also an MLA. He was elected for the first time last May. Uh, he's also former head of the RCMP in northern BC, so he's, he's you know, got various perspectives on this. Um, and one of the things he said was that uh, he, trappers hadn't been trapping as many wolves as they were supposed to. You know, there are people who hold licenses for for areas, uh, and if if they don't trap the numbers that they're expected to, uh, the population of wolves grows obviously. 
Um, and, and I guess the, under the licenses, they are required to trap, uh, but nobody checks up on that and nobody enforces the, the, the numbers that they're supposed to, to kill. Sorry, and just to be clear, like I'm, just, I'm just trying to explain his, his position. I'm not uh, endorsing anything there. Oh, no, I yeah, I understand. Uh, and what, following that, though, um, the belief that there are too many wolves, you had mentioned that it was coming a lot from livestock, ranchers, and people in rural areas. Uh, is that really what's driving that belief? And why do you think the government is so quickly reacting to that information? Uh, I think it's a long-time tension in, in the province. I mean, obviously, we've had wolf calls before. Um, I, I, I do think it's it's hard to know. I'm not sure. I mean, you know, Minister Thompson tells me that they're very confident about the numbers of wolves in the province. Like they, they estimate that they're 8,500, and they figure that uh, they use the word harvesting, I use the word killing, uh, 1,300 to 1,500 of them a year is... is uh, sustainable, you know, that, that it's not going to affect the population, that wolves are considered uh, not threatened, etc. Um, I'm not, I mean, I talked to, to lots of people who aren't so confident about the government's numbers. They're, they're not sure they really have a good sense of what's going on. Um, you know, obviously, livestock producers, you know, there's an economic piece there. Uh, you know, wolves for the most part. You know, no, nobody nobody really talks for them. I mean, there are conservation groups, but uh, a lot of the environmental movement these days. I mean, they're they're more interested in climate change and uh, the oil and gas industry, which is a big issue here as well. Uh, there's not not so much, at least not not the strident uh, groups who are who are out there uh, talking about you know conservation in, in a land-based way, if that makes sense. Meanwhile, the uh, the, the livestock, and, and I mean, I know I don't I don't mean to discount the, the work that some groups do. Like there there are groups out there, but they're maybe just not as loud as uh, some of the other uh, groups. If, if uh, and, I, and I hope that's fair. Um, meanwhile, you know, you look at the, the livestock producers, uh, and they have uh, well organized groups who who talk to uh, their MLAs, who uh, you know donate to political parties, who. Uh, uh, you know, have have some influence, and, and I think the government is is most likely responding to that. And that's uh, an interesting follow-up to me. Was a recent letter, and I sent this to you. I'm not sure if you had a chance to read it. Um, it was written by three scientists from BC who say the government's not using practical scientific modeling or theory in their wildlife management plans. Effectively, they are making a lot of guesses, they're making a lot of assumptions, and they're not using uh, tools like peer review. Do you think that's an accurate portrayal? And do you think the BC government is going to be willing to listen to these kinds of scientists? Yeah, I mean, you, you were talking about Paul Paquette, and I forget who the other two were. Uh, and and I, 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 I know they've been following this for years, and I, I'm, I'm sure they're better positioned than I am to say. Uh, so, so I suspect they're right. Uh, the government, you know, their basic talking points include that their wolf management plans are based on science, and that it's all science-based, and these will, will be decisions based on evidence. Um uh, you know, the response to that is, well, we'll release the plan and let scientists like Paul Paquette and, and others who are independent and, and not the government scientists uh, have a look and, and see if it's uh, in line with current scientific thinking about, you know, how to manage an ecosystem and how species interact and, and all that sort of thing. 
When your average reader goes over a story like the one you recently published, what's their reaction to discovering that even a respectable media outlet isn't getting government documents? Um, I, I think kind of, well, I, 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 I don't know that I can speak for an average reader. Uh, I, I think you, you said something earlier in the interview about how uh, it was becoming a common story that people couldn't get information um so one 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 does wonder if it's just becoming sort of business as normal uh here in British Columbia and probably throughout Canada uh that governments are secretive i mean they they claim to be open but they uh they they hide things all the time and and i I do think it's the kind of thing that makes people cynical about politics and about politicians and about government um you know it's it's, it's one of these ones where where they they obviously are doing the opposite of what they say they are doing, in terms of openness. When I was uh, working as a journalist, uh, I did a lot of community politics. And one of the things I found is when this kind of thing happens, people do get disenfranchised, they do get annoyed and upset, uh, and it really sort of results in a less um, effective government uh, because the people aren't engaging. Um, because it really gives credence to the fact that if you're not telling us what you're doing, then how are we going to be able to give you an opinion on it? You're going to do what you want to do. Uh, so what can people in BC be doing when they, when they see the story by you, uh, where it very clearly contrasts the statement by a government official that we're being transparent and the fact that there is no transparency on an issue like this? How can they react to that? How can they respond? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think, I mean, you're, I think you're right that people get cynical and they turn off. Uh, I do think that politicians respond when they hear from people. I do think that, uh, letter writing, though it, though it might feel useless, is, is not useless. That, that, you know, it is noted when people have opinions. Uh, and even from those stories, I mean, I have had notes from people saying that they had written the minister about it, that kind of thing. People copying me on things that they were writing to, uh, to, to MLA. Um, yeah, I mean, letting their voices be heard. Uh, I think the comment section was quite active on, I think we've published four stories on wolf management uh, in the last little while, and, and at least on the first few, the, the comment section was, was quite active, and they got uh, tweeted around on social media and that sort of thing. So, so uh, you know, I think I think demonstrating interest helps. Um, and modern politics is interesting in that there are so many issues, uh, and we, we get to vote once every four years, Right, and it's it's uh you know the the, the red party, the the orange party, or the the green party, or the blue party, um, and you get a, you get a pretty narrow choice when you consider that there are, you know might be a hundred or two hundred or three hundred uh, issues that might be important to you as an individual, and you're you're looking for who's best going to represent you on on any or all of those. Um, so, yeah, no, it's 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 tough. Okay, and one last question, and I'm not sure if you're in a position to answer it. If you're not, then we'll leave it out. Um, but as someone who has covered environmental news and has sort of followed these political issues, do you think people should be concerned about the way wolves are being viewed in BC right now by the government? Yeah, hard, hard to say. See, I'm, 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 I mean, I, I am writing from Victoria, right? So I'm not, I'm not in somewhere. Uh, like Quinnell or Prince George or uh, Cranbrook, where where there are wolves in my backyard. So 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 I'm 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 not sure the details of what it's like. 
there for for them. I, I think what's concerning to me is that the government is making decisions uh, on how to manage these populations, uh, but not not doing it right now. And this may, may be to come, but 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 so far they seem like they're they're very secretive about what exactly they're doing, what exactly they're thinking about. Uh, you know, they don't even want to have a conversation about what's on the table. Um, some of the more recent stories, I mean, the, the, the minister said, well, they're not going to poison, but, but he didn't want to have a discussion about anything else that might be on the table. You know, no, nothing else that they've ruled out, uh, nothing else that they're considering. Uh, so, so I, I, I would say, you know, my, my concerns are that, uh, if they believe they are doing the right thing, they should be very clear about what it is they are doing uh, and let people who have expertise in the area uh, assess that and, and you know, be able to say publicly whether or not they, they agree with the government on it. To learn more about Andrew or the TAI, visit thetai.ca. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control. We'll humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit us at gateswildlifecontrol.com or call 416-750-9453. Bearsmart.com is the most comprehensive resource on the web for all things bear. At Bearsmart.com, we work hard to ensure people and bears safely and respectfully coexist. Join us as we give bears a voice at Bearsmart.com. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species. Every year, dogs, cats, endangered species, and even people are caught in cruel leg hold, conibear, and other body gripping traps across Canada. Who will speak out for these innocent victims of an outdated industry? We will. I'm Leslie Fox, Executive Director of the Association for the Protection of Fur Bearing Animals. With your support, we can bring an end to the needless and painful deaths of hundreds of thousands of animals. Become a member today at Fur Bearer Defenders. To find out how you can give hope for our fur bearing friends. This is Defender Radio. Sadie Parr is an advocate in Western Canada who runs Just Beings, a group seeking to promote education, understanding, and coexistence with wolves. She has been following the BC government's wolf management plan, or lack thereof and joined us recently to discuss her concerns. So tell me a bit about Just Beings. 
Well, basically, it's um, just a name that I came up with uh, to represent wolves, but also large carnivores. Um, so that it's not specific to wolves, but um, largely I, you know, I try to represent all predators, large predators, all wildlife and animals. But I have a special fascination for wolves, largely because they're so misunderstood and so persecuted. Um, so Just Beings is kind of my effort to teach people the truth about wolves. Um, I've kind of initiated a few projects that I'm working towards and working with other individuals and other groups and anybody who's interested in fostering coexistence among wolves and people and ensuring that they have a healthy wild future um, in BC. So I guess to step backwards, um, I started something called the Canadian Wolf Coalition uh, probably in 2006 while I was working at a wolf education center here in Golden. And that was kind of my initial attempt to get, um, you know, like-minded people across the country focusing on some of the same issues at the same time so that we could actually accomplish some things. And it was a wonderful learning experience for me. From the Canadian Wolf Coalition, um, I started realizing as I was delving into the issues deeper and deeper and deeper that that was way too broad of a range. Um, basically, yes, all wolves need the same thing, but each pr province has its own regulations, its own legislation, its own um, really specialized concerns, and they all need to be dealt with in their own specialized ways. So really it's it's about education. Um, I do public outreach. I do school programs. I do wolf research. Um, and on that note, I'm really happy to say that um, Just Beings will shortly be evolving into a registered charity that I'm rekindling um, called Wolf Awareness. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, so definitely a lot of, you know, a lot of work ahead to get it going. I am really excited about that. Um, but basically the plan stays the same. Um, the outreach is all based on... It's based on science for sure, but it's certainly um, more than science. Um, I do believe that science is important, but I think it's just a tool to help us understand. I don't think that it gives us permission to do anything. So there's, um, you know, a lot of this is kind of ethics-based science, um, but we all have different ethics, and that's part of the, I don't want to say problem, beauty, struggle. Um, part of the challenge, I guess, with wo working with and for wolves is it is a lot, it's about a lot more than just biology and ecology. It really involves the human dimension and working with people. Um, well, and that's a great way to lead into some of the projects you're working on. Um, one of them you list as buffer zones. Can you tell us a bit about what, what you mean by the term buffer zones and what you hope to see change? Sure. Okay. Uh, well, this is a long-term goal, and I'm going to tell you that I grew up in Toronto. <laughs> so British Columbia was a place that I've always dreamed of um, because I, I do love being surrounded by wilderness. And I moved out here to live in the Mountain National Parks, which to me are one of the 
most exquisite places on the planet. And I've traveled a lot, but, uh, you know, really fresh air, biodiversity, great scenery. Um, so these buffer zones are specifically for the mountain national parks. Now, being in Toronto, I thought that wildlife in BC and in Canada's national parks um, were safe, were protected, had a great future ahead of them. Um, that was something that I have learned is simply not true. Um, the reality, the sad reality is that in our mountain national parks, only about 5% of wolves die of natural causes. So these are the protected wolves in our country um, because across Canada, John Thaberge, he's a wolf biologist who did a lot of work to establish buffer zones around Ontario's Algonquin Provincial Park. Thaberge has estimated that less than 3% of Canada is protected adequately to ensure multiple wolf families um, have a healthy future in the uh, ha sorry have a healthy future so right now we're really not set up for wolf conservation or presence in healthy numbers in perpetuity and again I I could say that this is probably the case for most large carnivores. Um, my focus is specific to wolves because they're, again, being persecuted not only by habitat loss and changes like that, but there are some direct management programs, which I'm sure we'll get to. So in our national parks, there is no hunting or trapping of wolves. There is supposed to be no resource extraction. However, um, these parks are too small. And we're only learning this, you know, within the past few decades, um, but they're not large enough to ensure that wolves, again, can live into the future in healthy numbers. So essentially, they're going to become islands of extinction. Um, my goal is to expand the national parks, starting bit by bit, um, largely probably starting with provincial parks. Um, where most people are surprised that animals can still be hunted and trapped. Um, I believe it's more than 90% of BC's parks you can still hunt and trap within them. So not everything is off limits. Not everything is protected. So the goal of the buffer zones is to stop hunting and trapping in targeted areas around the national parks so that wolves um, basically, as they do extend beyond those park boundaries, because they don't know where they are, and if there's a food resource outside that they have to get to and they step outside and they hit a trap line, well, that's um, largely why most of them are not dying of natural causes in these protected areas. Okay, well, and speaking of conservation in the long term, um, what is it like in BC right now? I mean, what's the, the climate in terms of getting legislation and interest in protecting wolves? It's, uh, it's really scary, to tell you the truth. Um, I feel that we're going backwards, actually. In November 2012, there was a proposed management plan released by the government of BC. And in my opinion, and in the opinion of many of the NGOs and scientists that I work with, it's basically a plan to legitimize the systematic killing of wolves. So before I get into the plan, um, I just want to set up the stage. Right after it came out, this was right before Christmas, the government opened up a three-week public comment period. And in that short amount of time, they received more than 2,500 comments, according to a ministry spokesperson, 
um, in total. So it was 2,575 comments in total. 1,614 comments were against the plan in opposition of it. So overwhelmingly strong response against the plan. It's been over a year and we still haven't heard what the plan is, what changes have been made. Um, basically, we're being stonewalled and the plan isn't being released. In the meantime, um, the very, very lackadaisical hunting and trapping regulations that did exist have been even further extended. There have been new hunting seasons put in place. And there's basically an atmosphere in BC, um, and, and the plan, in my opinion, allows for this. It's completely legal. We've had hunting contests and derbies for wolves in British Columbia this past winter. I don't, I don't believe they're new. They've been going on for a while, but they've become, become more publicly recognized. Um, and the government just says, well, they are completely legal. So just to run down some of the management, um, the wolf is the only species that you don't need a specific hunting seal or tag for. If you want to hunt an elk, you need an elk tag. If you want to hunt a black bear, you need a black bear tag. If you want to hunt a wolf, you really just need your general hunting license, and that's it. That's very easy to get. So, um, you know, we're talking like 30 to $60, and in many parts of British Columbia, you can go kill as many wolves as you'd like. So many areas have no bag limits. Where I live, there are no bag limits below 1,100 meters. Um, that's basically tree line, and wolves live in valley bottoms. There's very long seasons from nine months to year-round in some places. So you are allowed to hunt and trap wolves during their most vulnerable times, such as birthing and denning. Um, mothers can be killed, pups can be killed. You're allowed to bait wolves to trap or hunt them as well. To me, that, that does not fit into any claim to fair chase. Um, wolves can be hunted using snowmobiles. There's not mandatory reporting in most regions. I think three require mandatory reporting. So. Realistically, we're not even keeping track of how many animals are harvested. Um, worse than that, I mean, I, I do think that our hunting and trapping management definitely needs to be improved 100%. Um, but what really, one of the things that's happening that really does make me sad is that wolves are being trapped on crown land right now by conservation officers. Um, where there are livestock grazing leases. So tax dollars are paying for apex predators, which contribute to biodiversity and maintain balance in nature, um, are paying to have our conservation officers set up neck snares, which have been banned in other countries for their cruelty, to remove this animal that has a very important influence across the entire landscape. Again, this is on public land, and about 30% of British Columbia is leased out for grazing. So this is where I see a huge gap in, um, it's definitely influencing the management plan, um, and that's, you know, what I see is happening. Um, the current management plan that was released, or the proposed one, wasn't best based on contemporary science and what we understand about wolves and um, managing their populations. It's basically scripting to an agenda um, that 
is remove wolves for this purpose, this purpose, and this purpose. And again, we're having government officials doing that with tax dollar money, and this has not been a very transparent process. There's very little to no outreach in terms of teaching livestock producers how to prevent wolves from depredating. Where wolves and livestock overlap, there will be some losses. Um, but the reality is it's usually about 3 to 5% on a large scale. Now, that's across the globe. In British Columbia, if you do the math, we don't even have 1% of livestock being killed by wolves. Um, more cattle are killed by transportation, disease, birthing complications, um, wrangling, things like that. Um, however, I'm not saying... I'm not saying that no wolves kill livestock. Some do, um, but only a few do. And indiscriminately killing wolves on public land is certainly not going to address the problem. It's not going to be good for the environment. It's not good for wolves. And it's not going to change the situation. Um, so this is where I think that conversations need to be had about prevention and educating ranchers how to do that. And we do have mitigation where ranchers are compensated for losses. Um, but we used to have things uh, in Alberta and British Columbia, such as carcass removal programs. Um, wolves up until the 1970s were highly persecuted across BC. So we were still poisoning them in the 60s and using bounty programs. So we eradicated them from many areas. And people have kind of, you know, in that time, got used to living on a predator-free landscape. And that also has created some artificially inflated ungulate populations, deer and elk. And um, the reality is that wolves are naturally making a comeback to some of these areas. And personally, I'm very excited about this, that we still have a landscape capable of supporting these predators. And I know many other people who... Um, you know, feel the same way, but it's about relearning how to deal with them. And that's why, you know, on Just Beings on the website, you'll see that I've created a toolkit and it's science-based and it's been peer-reviewed and I've worked with other groups. Um, there's been lots of headway made in the States, largely in reaction to the reintroduction of wolves in Yellowstone, teaching um, ranchers coexistence methods. And some of them, you know, are, are age-old, such as having a human presence, shepherds and range riders. Those things really do go a long way. Um, other things are extremely simple but very important, such as um, you know removing dead stock immediately, because anything that comes across it is going to return. I mean, that's a free meal, and in my opinion, it's it's due diligence to make sure that you're not creating an environment that is attracting predators to your area. Um, you know, if if that is your business. Now, what can people be doing? I mean, clearly, there is not enough transparency at this time, and the policy that's being put forth by the government, and this isn't just in BC, frankly, this is all of Canada's provinces and territories, is much more reactionary and based on industry as opposed to science. Uh, so what should people be doing to get, um, get that agenda back on track, to get it based on science, to get it based on ecological biodiversity and true ecosystem protection? 
what should people be doing? Well, I, I definitely believe that we need to keep that dialogue alive. Uh, we should be writing to the decision makers and letting them know that that is very important. If scientists and biologists are held to that type of accountability, I mean, we have to be so accurate with our numbers. Um, the government really should be as well. There, you know, the, this whole conversation is going on in BC right now with regards to numbers and trophy hunting of grizzly bears. And, um, you know, contemporary science disagrees with government biologists. So we really do have to let have to let the government know that we're watching them, um, asking for proper peer reviews. I think that we should be demanding that of wildlife management plans as they do come out. Um, definitely asking uh, our our local government representatives to keep that in mind as well. Um, I think it's important to keep it in the media, whether you're you know even writing a letter to the editor, um, but keeping this dialogue. Alive. Unfortunately, um, we're not in very good economic times right now, so the environment is seeing major cutbacks, and there is less monitoring going on, certainly by the government, um, than, well, I've, I mean, I just know there's less and less and less, and it concerns me. Um, because if you're not monitoring, you're not record keeping, and you can kind of go in and do whatever you want. I know in British Columbia, we are not monitoring cumulative impacts of resource extraction. And that is certainly something um, that has to start to happen. So, you know, demanding it of our decision makers, they're supposed to represent us, encouraging our peers and our friends to demand the same, supporting organizations that are using science and taking the government to task um, using these things. Um, I, you know, I really support eco-justice uh, as one. Um, just holding the government accountable to the legislation that they've put forward because we don't want a paper tiger. Um, I mean, that's largely what our Federal Species at Risk Act is. Um, that has been successful largely through litigation. It shouldn't be that way. So we need to be choosing decision makers who do prioritize the environment, who do value science, um, and who do support a land ethic, ultimately. I know on my webpage, um, I do have lots of information about the proposed management plan, and what we're asking the government at this stage to do is come forward with it. Stop stonewalling so that we know where we're at, um, and we can work with something that is transparent. Learn more about Sadie's work by visiting JustBeings.com. That's all we have time for this week. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us, and as always, Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control for his ongoing support. To learn more about any subjects covered this week or get involved, visit FurBearDefenders.com. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed Stay strong.